Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a flea-ridden mattress here Ugh. in 2019. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. I'm Phil And with us today is uh, director and actor Lola Kelly. Hello. Um, Lola is uh, our guest. She's currently, you're about to put up a play in LA called Crimson Cabaret. Correct. You want to tell us a little bit about that? It's going to be a fun, sexy romp in oh. 1964 Ber- Berlin. Ooh, no. And yeah, it'll be a, a good night out for Los Angeles, cool. I think. A bit of espionage. Fun and oh, sexy, wow, just go. like Angel's Ashes. Just <laughs> like Angel's Ashes. This movie is not fun. This movie is not fun, um, not sexy, <laughs> no. but definitely Irish. I don't know. It depends on how you feel about sheep. It's true sheep. <laughs> how do we feel about I don't sheep. know what that was. Is that some sort of a... Someone help me. Or something? I don't know what's going on with the sheep. Um, the, everyone looks at me. I should mention probably Lola is Irish. Irish. Irish yes. You pretty obvious from looking at you. Right, but not from <laughs> listening to me. No, so you don't I, have a broke. Yeah, exactly. So I grew up in Ireland, but um, partly. I spent most of my life in Los Angeles. My mother is Irish-Irish. My father is Irish-American. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a mot- Irish. motley background. But yeah. So let's talk about those sheep. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we want to start. Well, I, we mentioned it. So basically, yeah. uh, for those who've never seen Ash, Angel's Ashes or read it or read it, I guess. Before we get into uh, anything else about it, this is a shitty way to start this podcast. <laughs> well, um, there's, there's a scene where four young men 
masturbate to sheep. sheep. Is is that what is that? that? I couldn't tell if they were masturbating thinking about sheep or if the sheep just happened. There was a, there's like a wall. They're behind like a brick wall. And I, I don't know. I don't it was Well, Lola and I talked a little bit about this as we were walking into the building about how like this movie sort of lacks any real levity. And in this portion of the film, let's just call it the masturbatory portion of the film, I think they thought it was funny. And I thought they thought that they were adding sort of like, ha, 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 jokes. I've never read the memoir. Have you? you? you Uh, Oh, yeah. 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 Um, The memoir is apparently funny. It's very funny. But I think it is funny from an Irish perspective. Have you read the book? No. So I – I, it's very hard f- for me to tell whether Americans would find it funny because Irish people are just so just sick and twisted yeah. <laughs> in our sense of humor. Yeah, so, it's a lot of gallows humor. Exactly. It's yeah. a very dark sense of humor. And that's something I want to talk about in yeah. the film as well because I, there's so much of that missing in the film. And it is such a survival mechanism for Irish people mm-hmm. to make fun mm-hmm. of how bleak our lives are and that's how we get through we basically have music really messed up jokes and alcohol which is probably not a survival mechanism at all and it's killing us all that's but- why jews and, and yeah. irish people always get along exactly because <laughs> we, we, we really hate ourselves too yeah. so. true i mean most of my friends are jewish yeah. mexican or irish like i think guilt and sort of Sure. Humor and yeah. music runs through all three of those cultures. So. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, the interest, like there, obviously, there's guilt in how do you? It's Malachi. Is that Malachi? Malachi. My apologies. In Malachi's character, the father's character, the elder Malachi, the elder Malachi, because the, the second brother is named Malachi as well. Right. Right. He doesn't make it. Very no, no, he makes it. Oh no, he makes He's it. He's the redhead. My mom oh, is friends with him, actually. So it's Frank. Really? Yeah. So basically, just real quick, the uh, it's a memoir. It takes place in the 30s and 40s, and I guess early 50s, uh, mostly in Ireland, mostly in a town called Limerick, uh, near Dublin, outside Dublin. Uh, it's in the south. Yeah. South. Okay. Um, and the the basics are Frank McCourt. His uh, mother married a northern Irish man. Irish yes. men, mm-hmm. Northern Ireland and Ireland are not the same. They're not friends. Yeah. Can I get into the, yeah, the history? For sure, yeah. So <clears throat> I want to talk about the history of 1999, particularly in Ireland, because that was very Great, significant. Yeah. But to go back to Malachi and the character of Malachi and why he's just such an intense symbol for Irish men, he is essentially a man without a home and without a nation who fought for a nation, but then was sort of left behind. So the war for independence was in the early 1900s, and uh, it was for the Republic of Ireland, for for a unified, for at least some people wanted that. For the whole island. The whole island to have independence from... England. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the people who fought in that war, Malachi. And what ended up happening is a compromise that left Northern Ireland as this separate nation and the Republic of Ireland as free. And Mm -hmm. Northern Ireland was still tethered to England. So you have this character who fought for freedom and his home is still sort of in this middle ground and Mm -hmm. he's so patriotic, the character of Malachi. And he is so tragic because 
he he wants this identity that is not possible for him in his in his home turf. Well, I feel like that scene early on that sort of really encapsulates the character is when he goes to and I, I forgive me, I don't know what the the label for this person is, but he's basically asking for money because of him fighting in the war. Right. And and basically he tells him to go to Belfast. It, yeah. I mean and and, he, and then he asks for he gives him some change for the subway or for the subway for the for the bus. For the plane. Right. For the helicopter. <laughs> for him and his family. <laughs> and and, uh, and Malachi says, can you give me a little bit more so I can get a pint? Right. And it's just like that. that's the whole, right. in my opinion, that character is encapsulated in that his scene. His alcoholism of, is absolutely. And his patriotism it, is sort of encapsulated yeah. I, in that I want to ask one more question about the, the North because I, I really didn't understand this history. I mean, I don't understand it. I didn't even understand it a little bit until you just said it. Mm-hmm. Northern Ireland or Protestant in general? No. No. Okay. So, and that is to this day an issue which is we're sort of full circle. Irish history is at this moment because of Brexit, a lot of things that we thought we were over are now flaring up again. Um, But so Northern Ireland is had something called the troubles that happened after the movie between when the movie is set and the nineties. And actually there's, there was an agreement that was signed in 1998 that allowed for peace, but there was a lot of strife in Northern Ireland because and this is the IRA stuff. And yes. the, okay. So because it still had Irish Catholic people, but then it had, it also had English people who were Protestants and the whole Protestant versus Catholic. I could get in a lot of trouble for saying this <laughs> with a lot of Irish people, but it, it was really more about nation hood and more of a civil war than it was. I think that, Religion was often used as a tool to sort of fan the flames mm-hmm. of the tension, um, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was an easy way to identify who was sure. the enemy, okay. quote unquote. Um, so, Orangemen are are English people living in Northern Ireland, and there was an enormous amount of tension and violence between both both sides, mm-hmm. um, and Irish people were essentially terrorists to England. The IRA was basically considered a terrorist organization. And I have to admit that they were, you know, they bombed public spaces in the North and in England for decades. And Mm -hmm. then Jerry Adams, it's so hard to whittle this down. It's a tentative piece feels like right now. It's not, it's not. Well, I mean, it, it felt at least five years ago, mm-hmm. the area that was the height of the troubles and was just so violent mm-hmm. was like filled with like hipster bars and like third mm-hmm. wave coffee houses and like joke pictures of Jerry Adams and Ian Paisley, who are like the opposite enemies uh-huh. of each other just all over the walls. And there's there was no trace of this. So I I think... Northern Ireland is sort of facing what we're facing in America a little bit of thinking. We thought we had this peace under control to a certain degree, and yeah. and now mm-hmm. this simmering resentment is now bubbling up to the surface that we thought wasn't there. Right. Um, but for the most part, from 1999 on, and it was mm-hmm. really that was a huge, significant year for Irish history. Because it was also the first time for the Republic of Ireland where we had both prosperity and peace because Ireland, as you see in the movie, was just incredibly poor for a very, very long time. There was the Irish famine in the 1800s and um, then 
by the mid nineties, we were just sort of getting on our feet as a mid 1900s. I, I oh, okay. So in 95, then there's something called the Celtic Tiger that hits. And that's where tech money came into Ireland. Okay. And all of a sudden, we had this incredible economy. Right. The 90s were a really strong kind of decade for, the Irish, yeah. for Ireland and the Irish people. And Irish and- culture, because like, you have the cranberries, you have you too. You have these sort mm. of cultural things that are going mm-hmm. worldwide for Irish people. And that wasn't something that we had for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And this book. Was a, I mean, it won the Pulitzer. It was exactly. an enormous yeah, book. That's true too. And and a representation by us that felt like our own because there was a lot of white minstrelsy, essentially, of Irish people um, prior to that in culture, and that offended real Irish people because it was this sort of like leprechaun representation of Irishness. But then you had our voice represented worldwide, and that was a very exciting time. I think. That's and, fantastic. Well, it's fantastic, but it also makes this movie a bit sad to well, to me because it was this moment for us, mm-hmm. and I feel like it didn't happen. It was well. That's yeah. this. This movie does not sort of capitalize on this moment in any real way. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about the fact that the director, the two actors, are not Irish, right? You know, the, so you you have leads, yeah. the two leads. So Emily Watson is Welsh, English, English, very yeah. English, very English. Okay, <laughs> she's upper class. Carlos Scottish. Scottish. Yes. And Parker is English. the director and co-screenwriter is English. He's at least working class though. He and and from, we talked a little bit yeah. about the commitments, um, yes. the Alan mm-hmm. Parker film, yeah. which I have not seen in a very long time. Um, but I remembered liking it as a kid and I remember it feeling very sort of, you know, having that blue collar kind of lo-fi quality. I, I wonder how that would play now. Well, oh. Lola was telling me it doesn't oh, play. Great. Yeah. I think <laughs> which like, is unfortunate. there was a period of time in the nineties where that was considered a, by some, by yeah. some, to, to be kind of a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, these the music's days, so great for what that's worth. Well, uh, maybe. You yeah. know, like the thing is, like these days, you just sp- spoke of white minstrel. My, I'm yeah. sorry. What's the word? White minstrelsy. My, white minstrelsy. Um, you can't really escape the fact that it's cultural appropriation in that movie. Oh my God. It's, 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 it's mortifying. Prob- it's probably watch. uncomfortable Ugh. at this point. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. that, that movie is also based on a book, a Roddy Doyle book, yes. which I believe he is Irish. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. Um, so again, you see Alan Parker being given sort of these, these important quote unquote Irish books. And I'm just not really sure what the through line is like, well, I think he, he did kind of nail the landing on the commitments in it being Irish. And I say that with no pride, unfortunately. And I loved the commitments. I have to just admit that as a young girl in Ireland. And I think that speaks to the isolation of the island and a lot of ignorance about race on the island during that era. And just to identify a lot of the issues, if no one's seen the commitments, it's about an Irish band in Dublin who decides they want to make soul music. And it is absolutely a bunch of Irish people appropriating black culture. And um, there's one point in which one character says that Irish people are the N-words of of Europe. Um, And it is just so cringy to watch. But it's also a realistic representation of 
just ignorance around right. a lot of like we didn't have the internet at that it, at the time in which that is set it's set in the late 80s like mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. there was just there was we had like records soul records right. but there was no sense of of actual relationships with black people in there, any way right. <laughs> so, yeah, i don't know if you're familiar with the term love and theft um and i think about love and theft all the time because so much of my career has kind of been uh writing shows within black culture. Uh, that's just kind of where I've wound up. Um, and uh, essentially love and theft is a, um, it, it's, it's cultural. It's, it's, it's a, it's a way to describe cultural appropriation without also assigning judgment, which is essentially the commitment is a pretty good example. The characters in that movie didn't set out to steal black culture, present it as their own. It was done because they genuinely loved Motown and Soul and that kind of stuff, and they thought they could do it as well. Um, ignorance isn't an excuse, but ignorance is kind of the the explanation for why these things happen um, a lot. So there is – to me, it's a little more – culturally interesting it's a little more of a cultural artifact worth studying than just saying we didn't know back then the, the way it is now that that's a to me that's a real thing and, and and because it's so one-to-one with soul music and and motown and these types of american music that were almost an entirely african-american music um this happened with the beatles too you know this happened with the rolling stones and this happened with True. every rock band in america and europe and everywhere around the world so it's still happening. I mean, there's still some artists that get that you know uh, get dinged with that. They should, yeah, right? Absolutely. They they should, and and that's that's kind of the history of music in this world. Sure. Um, over the last hundred years, has basically been Amer- um, music starting with Black Americans and and kind of being, you know, pr- kind of sent out throughout the world and and taken by other people uh, maliciously or not. So. I'm not really defending the commitment so much as saying like I do think it has more value than 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 just kind of, and so much of what we do is is basically look back at the films of '99 and be like yeah that's fucked up because of this yeah. but uh, it does have value yeah so, I mean I, I would I actually would like to watch the commitments again I remember really liking it as a kid and I'd be curious to see what doesn't hold up or holds up. I, I mean, I think that Alan Parker is an interesting filmmaker. He's made a handful of interesting films. Bugsy um, Malone. Bugsy Malone. <laughs> Mississippi Burning. Uh, I mean, people. there are some people that really love his Evita. I mean, there's, he, he's made some interesting movies. There are? There are. My roommate being one of them. <laughs> she loves Evita. Whenever you talk about Mel, it's interesting because she's like, what, like 10 years younger than us? Mm-hmm. Something like that? Her touchstones are so different. Yeah, I know. You know, I don't and have Mel on. Hmm? Has she been on? Oh, she's been on I three times. Three yeah. times. Oh, yeah. I missed yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's clear to me that like what she was watching ad nauseum <laughs> in the you know <laughs> in the nineties. It's not yes. bizarre. It's just the well, equivalent of it it's the equivalent of me watching Summer School with Mark Harmon fifteen times and thinking it's a master. But her like her so. taste in music tended to be that of like a forty year old divorcee. I love that about her. So it's it's yeah. like there's just there's me an too. interest. <laughs> um, but I do think that Alan Parker you. I mean, there is not a lot, unfortunately, online in terms of the development of this movie. There's not. It's, there, yeah, it's kind of a vacuum. And I don't I don't quite know why that is. I think it's sort of because this movie doesn't really exist. It's kind of a movie that that 
no one really talks about. It it never it didn't hit a vein. They tried to platform it at Christmas. It's a movie that probably should have come out earlier in the year. Christmas movie. Angel's yeah. Ashes. No. A Christmas it's, movie. Well, it's like bring the family to watch a bunch of dead kids. It's crazy. <laughs> oh god. Isn't it crazy, it's crazy when you have there are a few other examples I could think of of these massive literary properties sure. that the movie don't the movie just doesn't exist. I mean the road is a really good example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know the road comes out, it's like yeah. It's like it didn't happen. Um, there was yeah. one with Ewan McGregor a few years ago. Um, oh, American Pastoral. American Pastoral doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Um, the it's, Giver, the Low and Lo- Lois Lowry book, that was such a big beloved book. book. Beloved book doesn't exist. It's so books weird are when, really when you hard. Miss it. Re- I mean, it, I have it's, a, especially like I'm. I'm wondering what the Goldfinch does when it comes out next month. It could um, exist or not. It could exist or not. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But it's just it's like these really these beloved books, and this is this is kind of its own animal too. It's a memoir. It's a different sort of thing. Um, but Emily Watson actually says something interesting. Um, I read this interview with her. If I can find it really quickly, she said, "Everyone who read the book will have a different image of who Angela was, and you can't compete with that." I couldn't go out and try to embody everybody's version of her, so I built my own thing. Uh, she also said that she couldn't smoke uh, woodbines, which is what the, the which is why she which is, shouldn't have been cast. Is that is that like a, is that <laughs> she's a, like I would have died if I had to smoke that is, many. Of is that like the that's the Irish cigarette woodbine? Um, they're just very harsh, like hand yeah. hand rolled. Based Imagine like cowboy singing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. God, the Irish people are so cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, every Jew wants to be Irish. It's <laughs> what? My, oh, my my dad would kill to be Irish. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's, this movie also made me think about a movie that I actually I don't know saw if that's true, Dad. But with- like, <laughs> but I know, no, I know he he. I, he well, he has actually, as, he has as much love for Ireland as he does for Israel. There's no question about it. Can about I tell 100%. a weird story about my own father, who's very Irish and was like a priest in the Vatican for sure before he obviously decided to have sex instead. Nice. Um, sure, but he <laughs> at one point converted to almost converted to Judaism and like like learned really? Hebrew. So still like huh. speaks like. Every time he sees anyone remotely Jewish, which is so embarrassing because sometimes he gets it wrong. He wants to like, (laughs) (laughs) but he loves Jewish culture and is obsessed with it and has made several documentaries about Israel and Palestine and the Holocaust. There's uh, there's some real. there, There is a connection there. Well, you know, I mean, the the both both cultures spent a hundred years persecuted, <laughs> yeah. like in their Hardships. own land, right? yeah. Um, yeah. by people who aren't genocide. all that culturally di- culturally different than yeah, genocide <laughs> and famine yeah. and you know the immigrant experience, and you know we've both done pretty well in America. <laughs> you know? Storytelling as well. Uh, storytelling yeah. for sure. There's yeah. there's I mean it's uh, I don't know if you remember the show Brooklyn Bridge. I'm sure you do as a do. Phil. Um and also. A television one. A television one. Do you remember the show Brooklyn Bridge? I don't. It's a mid-90s show. I think it was a- it was Gary David Goldberg, It I was Gary. Yes, Gary David Goldberg. I want to say it was a half hour, but I can't remember. Yeah, it read know. like an hour. But um, it, it was basically about the immigrant experience in Brooklyn in probably the 50s or 60s. And uh, it was about a you know, young Jewish family and two kids, um, probably 11 or 12 and 14, 15, something like that. And the episode I remember watching with my parents is an episode where the the boy, so it must have been 15 or 16, was dating an Irish girl and they met each other's families. And they really clashed, right? They really clashed and kind of ruined the relationship. But the second time they met, they found some common ground. And the end of the episode were the, the, the patriarch of the Jewish family and the matriarch of the Irish family at their separate homes listening to the other one's culture's music. Um, on like, uh, you know, turntables or whatever and crying. Um, and it really, you know, 
there is this idea that we're all the same and we really are all the same. All of our experiences are very similar, but these two cultures have extremely parallel uh, experiences. I do want to talk about music actually and this film. Um, John Williams score. Oh my God. Which is not great. Hot take. Not nominated. Worst John Williams score. No, it was nominated. Yes. It was nominated for an Oscar. Um, Always gets the nod. But, but Irish. So musicality and music is such a huge part of the culture and the book. I mean, we're having these conversations about adaptation and what can you do with the book and what can't you, but I just do not understand. They were given this gift of the musicality of the characters as well as the culture and just decided to have this like incredibly American, very like violin infused, sad score that just felt invasive and made the movie really sad when it didn't need to be. I totally agree with you. And, and, and this might sound like a stretch. I don't mean it to be, but there is also something very melodious about the Irish accent. And they picked someone to do the narration who is so boring and so flat. He has an accent, obviously. But one of the things that I read was that the audiobook is tremendous because Frank McCourt reads it. And it's he incredible. has this unbelievable voice. Why wouldn't you get him to narrate this movie? I genuinely wonder if he would have pulled focus to how how inconsistent the rest of the accents were oh. in the film. Um, <laughs> because possible. he sounds so – and I wonder if there's American audiences – my husband can't understand um, Irish accents. So he has keyed me into that being a problem. That's something I just don't even think about because I understand Irish people. Right. But um, I, the Limerick accent is quite intense. I mean, I so, did watch this with subtitles. I'll be completely honest. What? I, I, just I, to be safe. I, I did wanted to, too, I just, actually, but oh, only because wow. I was on a plane <laughs> and I didn't want to miss anything. But um, I, I had it on. It helped. Yeah. It was, I don't generally do that. But it was one of those things where this was a two and a half hour movie and I didn't want to be rewinding. And I was just like, sure. okay, I'm just going to put it on. I didn't read them that often. And more times than not, there were kind of words that whether I could understand them or not, weren't going to mean anything to me just in terms of just some of the, the slang and some of the things that they, you know, the, the dialect. But I, I don't know. I, I didn't find it that hard to understand people in it. Well, I think because of what Lola's yeah, saying. So I think they were their kind of, accents weren't that. Well, they were yeah. anglicizing these accents, right? A, a little bit. Yeah. And I don't feel like they did it to the point where it was at all offensive. Like, I think that they did a good job of representing those accents in a way that was still audible to sure. American ears. Um, and Frank McCourt, I have no trouble understanding but yeah. i wonder if his accent is a little too strong for american audiences but uh, to your point he is so funny and all his the humor there is no humor yeah. in this movie it's it is interesting to me because as I, as I was sort of reading up on it a little bit and watching it and thinking about i remember obviously when the film was being released i remember it was a big deal you know scott rudin is obviously a big producer and we'll talk about him in a little bit but you know he's a big literary producer buys galleys of books before they're even released you know is 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 that guy and this pulitzer prize winning book which is a really big deal and i just remembered thinking well this is going to be a big deal this is going to be a big oscar movie in my you know at 19 thinking about oscars and all that sure. sort of stuff i thought this was going to be a big movie it has the veneer of an oscar it has the it really does i mean there's this there's this quote that that uh, that um 
uh, Janet Maslin had in the New York Times review, which I think is interesting. She says, anyone who thinks poverty is not pretty would think twice after watching the film version of Frank McCourt's best-selling boyhood memoir. Not since Walker Evans distilled the mournful beauty of Appalachia, or at least not since the latest fashion layout flirted with arty desolation has misery looked this fabulously pristine. I think there's something antithetical to how overproduced this movie is considering the subject matter to a certain degree. Like I, the, the, the alleyways with this like beautifully moonlit cascading water coming off of, you know, on the cobblestone, you're just, you find yourself thinking like, how am I supposed to feel about this? Like as, and maybe I'm being analytical, so I don't know what a viewer, I mean, not many people went to see this movie. It didn't do that great, but there's just a part of me that feels like as I'm watching it, I shouldn't, it shouldn't be this sleek in a weird way, or th- 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 there's money there that you can see on the screen, which just made my brain hurt. Have either of you seen The Butcher Boy? No. no. The Neil it's Jordan 19, movie? Yeah. 1997. It's brilliant. And it is, I think it does a brilliant job of portraying the filth and discomfort. You can almost smell the movie right. and how gross it is. But that movie ends up being very funny. Right. And it has this juxtaposition to American pop culture because this little boy is obsessed with comic books and the bright colors of these comic books oh, and wow. these fantasy sequences of being a cowboy and all of that compared to the just dank. Co- There's so much like you said, there's so much like blue and bright colors and it's very like gray yeah. and yeah, angel of ashes. Just, it, yes. But like, yeah. I feel like it needed more brown. It needed more like filth. It really. kind of did. I mean, we I talked a little they, on texting about how Neil Jordan, I think, would have been a better fit for this yeah. um, than, than Alan Parker. Not just because Neil Jordan, I believe, is Irish. Yeah, he is. But also just Neil Jordan has such a great command of of. of He's a visionary filmmaker. He's a great command of production design and photography, not to say that Alan Parker doesn't, but I would have loved to have seen the butcher boy version of this, having not seen that film, but just that idea of, of him really getting into the grittiness of the story to a certain mm-hmm. degree. Whereas the impression I got is that they were trying to do the Hollywoodized sheen version of this movie. And I don't know that that was as successful. Okay. I have a point. Please. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> the Neil Jordan of it, uh, the, the, we're coming from this from a point of view of where Alan Parker came up short and how this could have been a good movie or a better movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. Inherently. Uh, whatever. Yeah. yeah. A better movie. Um, and I don't think it's a bad movie either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, I would propose that this could not have been a good movie. Almost almost necessarily. And here's my here's my argument essentially. Memoirs and autobiographies are two very different things. Autobiographies in general are a great man or great woman recounting their life with the help of a ghostwriter. And they've lived a singular life. Mm-hmm. Um now we can talk about biopics and whatnot. If they work, if they don't, some work, some don't, most don't. But you can't deny that, you know, a biopic about Harriet Tubman is going to tell a story that has only been the story of a life that has only been lived once, you know, and there's nothing like that in history. Memoirs are different. 
Frank McCourt's experience was the experience of so many Irish people over the course of 40, 50, 60 years uh, in Ireland. The reason Angela's Ashes works is not because of the stories he's telling, which are pretty mundane. It's the way he told them, mm-hmm. right? Angela's Ashes work because Frank McCourt himself is a brilliant writer and storyteller. And if you look at a lot of memoirists, autobiographers, people who write their own who are, who are their own autobiography, don't then go and become creative writing or creative non nonfiction writing professors. Memoirists do. Memoirists are in in and of themselves writers and artists do that primarily. So, I know why the Cage Bird sings, for instance. My Angelou's life is not. Per- up until she became Maya Angelou, became famous, is not particularly a unique experience for a young black woman growing up at the time she grew up. The way she told the stories of her life, the way she used words and the way she wrote her prose was what really is make, makes that makes her experience sing and made her memoir rise above other memoirs of people who were at that time. So my point is, in adapting a memoir, it's almost impossible to accomplish what the book accomplishes, especially if you're going to do it the way Alan Parker did, which is more or less a direct retelling of these otherwise somewhat un, unremarkable stories. I mean, I hear that, I, I, and I, I don't disagree. I, I, I guess the question that I was asking myself as I was watching it was, there are a lot of things that hinder this movie from really fully taking flight. I think it's running time really hurts it. I think it's far too long. I think, I think that the narration, which to your point is the hallmark of that book being removed from it in some form or another, or at least the, the interesting qualities of it being removed from it. I, I think that there is a better movie to be adapted here. Your point isn't there's falling no, on deaf ears, but I just no, think there's, there's no, so when you look at a memoir, there's, there's no central argument in this book, right? There's no central argument being made by McCourt, in my opinion. And there's also it, – it's also very difficult to show character development when you're showing literal development. So over the course of this, this person's childhood, right. of course he's going to develop in certain ways. But the character doesn't change very much. The character experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just – I disagree with that at least. I think that that, I disagree with that at least. I think that it is it's a a very classic coming of age arc that was basically thrown away. I I do think that. Well, if it was basically thrown away, then the the movie wasn't successful in right. But I think that the memoir gives the screenwriters the opportunity to not be as focused on the details of of these things that happened, but rather take the meaning and the tone. And just tell this story of – I think Frank's character does grow a lot over the course of – maybe I'm being influenced by the book, but I think over the course of the film. And just the act of leaving Ireland, I guess perhaps that's also my bias, is such a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Like his ability to leave his mother behind and not – and to sort of break the cycle. Well, especially um, of uh, – he gets close to – dangerously close to becoming his father. Exactly. And he, oh, and he's, and he stops that. And yeah. is able to sort of, uh, to some degree, again, I don't I haven't read the book, so I don't know how much. I, I would also just, I, I guess, 
I agree and I disagree with the, the, the memoir notion. There are movies based on memoirs that are good movies. Like I what? mean, I think I think we did one this year. We did uh, Girl Interrupted, which That's is an okay movie. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm looking at a list here out of Africa. Um, I've never seen out of Africa. I mean, Africa, 127 Hours, which I think is a good movie. The Pianist is based on a memoir. Uh, the Motorcycle Diaries. I mean, there are movies based on memoirs that are good movies. I don't necessarily feel as You though think those are all good movies? I think those are good movies. All right, let's let's put the pianist aside because you can't talk about that. I um, you can if you want. But I mean, I'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it's. I, I also October Sky is another movie that we that we did this year. Yeah, which I think which which I thought was. I think se- it's possible that you don't lacking. like movies based on memoirs, no, which is possible. Uh, but October, I, I mean, October Sky is not really a memoir. October uh, October Sky is more of an autobiography. Like that's a that's a singular experience lived by somebody who's never. And and mm-hmm. and the the book is ghost written, so it's like the girl interrupted is more of a memoir, and girl mm-hmm. interrupted is a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think girl interrupted is comes at it with kind of essential argument, but right. I think we all kind of felt in the moment that girl interrupted could have been an incredible movie, and it's really hard when you're trying to, and and I think that we said this at the time when you're trying to both serve the source material mm-hmm. and stay true to that tone, but also trying to tell a larger story about. I think that, I think that's the definition that perhaps we have that is different of a singular life. And, and that's, and that's totally fair. I, I mean, we're, we're sort of splitting hairs between autobiography and memoir. There, I understand two different things. I understand that they're two different things. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that on the screen, I don't necessarily think that they are all that different. And I think that they're extremely different. Okay. They just are dude. No, they are be, be no, they really are because a memoir is a, a, a memoir is necessarily like it, it exists because of its quality. A, a good memoir is like a magic trick that this person, that of all the, Billions of young Irishmen mm-hmm. that th- that this person lived this experience and wrote this memoir. It's like unbelievable that this happened. It happens in pop culture too, where there are these memoirs that. But how is that different from a singularity, a singular life of? of you're, you're you're saying I just said how it's different because the, the life of Frank McCourt up mm-hmm. until he published his memoir mm-hmm. is the exact same that as, it has is the exact same life as not exact same but it's more or less indistinguishable from the life of many millions of irish people whereas the life of john f kennedy mm-hmm. is not indistinguishable mm-hmm. john f kennedy is the only person who was shot in 1963 when he was president like john do you, you see what i mean i guess you could like really get into the minutia and say well frank McCourt is the only person who lives at this particular time but that's just not that's not why you make a movie you don't make a movie because frank McCourt had three siblings who died well, you make the movie because Frank McCourt had that life, which I admit is is a life that's similar. But then he went on to write a book that won the Pulitzer Prize. I agree, and he so re- and the, it won the Pulitzer Prize. This is not right. circular logic. It won the Pulitzer Prize because he wrote about it brilliantly. Every life is every life is really interesting in its own ways. I'm not trying to say he didn't mm-hmm. live an interesting life, mm-hmm. but I am trying to say that if you lined up a hundred Irish people living at at that period of time, they'd all have really interesting stories about their lives, mm-hmm. really interesting stories. And if they were all as brilliant as Frank McCourt, they probably could write a really incredible memoir. But what happened in this memoir in terms of – what happened in this movie in terms of moments mm-hmm. that you've never seen before, that you've never – Okay, that, so let me – okay. I apologize that that, we're, that we've gotten off topic a little bit, but we're not really. But literally, I, no, no, no. I guess I'm saying that, that – like look at 127 Hours for instance, mm-hmm. Okay. 
this is a guy who's dealing with sort of kind of a quarter life crisis to some degree. He's trying to figure out his life. And then he gets trapped in a, in a cave and he has to chop off his own arm. And that's not really a memoir. Why is that not a memoir? Because that's a singular experience because you knew, I'll give you the, the, the main difference for me. Aaron Ralston, who wrote that Aaron Ralston, who lived that life yeah. was a celebrity before that came out. You knew that story before he wrote the book the book has nothing to do with why this movie was made. Someone didn't find this book and pull it out of obscurity. The story is so incredible. It's so singular. It's so unlike anything you've ever heard before that that's why that was such a that, – that's why that came to your consciousness. The fact, that Danny, the fact that Danny Boyle made a great movie, James Franco played a really interesting character. And mm-hmm. put, that's all wonderful and I love that movie. I think it's incredible. Mm-hmm. But – that's not a story that anybody else could have told. That story is so incredibly unique that you could you could you could let that kind of stand as your foundation mm-hmm. for a movie and then build off that. Whereas here, mm-hmm. the foundation of this movie kind of has to be Frank McCourt's lyricism. And I would almost say there's one memoir, even though I think this is kind of, you know, somewhere in the middle, that uh made for a great movie. I think that's Molly's game. Mm-hmm. Like Molly's Game made for a great movie. Mm-hmm. And I think because Sorkin, I read Molly's Game because Sorkin actually took Molly's, uh, Molly Bloom's sensibilities mm-hmm. and adapted it to a movie in a way that felt fresh and unique, a different mm-hmm. kind of take. But this does like almost the exact opposite, it seems. Now, I haven't read it, but it seems like uh, it took Frank McCourt's brilliance and lyricism and humor uh, and perspective – cut it down, mm-hmm. ripped it out, and just told a very basic story about growing well, we, up in we Ireland. We talked a little bit about the the screenwriter, whose work I don't know all that well. Uh, mm-hmm. Laura Jones, I believe is, is her name. Um, it, it, it just, it, part of it, truthfully, and I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but it does feel like the humor is is so vitally important to this book, and it is lost in this. This movie is, is uh, tragedy porn. That's exactly the word I used to describe it. it. it The first act, I would say that by the third act, it starts to chug and you start to see a lot of the charm of the book. I would say about halfway through the film, when we start to see Frank, um, he's just not much of a person for the first act. He's he's a little boy and he he doesn't do very much. Um, So the movie really hinges on on, uh, Emily Watson and, and, and Robert Carlyle really for that first act. And then once he gets a little older, you start to see a little more agency. You start to see a little more of his personality start to surface. It becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah, I think that that was a missed opportunity, too, in the screenwriting, though, because in the book, um, you have this perspective of complete innocence that's so funny. Yeah. And it also makes some of these horrible things that happen palatable because it's seen through the eyes of this child who doesn't know what's going on and who genuinely thinks that, like, babies are being left Mm -hmm. by angels on the stairs and that his parents aren't fucking. And, like, there's stuff like that that's just really charming and allows you to go through some of the more mundane and sad stuff 
But yeah, I just I, it's I feel also, like Laura Jones like she wrote she, uh, she portrait of a woman and Brick Lane possession Oscar and Lucinda like I think she I like Oscar and Lucinda yeah but it's not a funny movie like mm-hmm. she had she's never written a funny movie no I, I also think this movie is too straight a line it's a little too linear yeah. for its own good too I think that there's an opportunity with these with three versions of Frank to be playing a little bit more with time and to I mean not to do anything crazy but just even just starting with him older and working our way through it like it just it just felt like we're just we are thrown into this movie right out of the gate with a with a dead little baby in five minutes into this movie and it just you're 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 really just not given any chance to really get your bearings before this movie just really hits you yes i no i mean that's 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 what what's the what's the the illness that's a prescription for like What's I mean I I don't have an issue with its linearity, because mm-hmm. uh, I just don't I don't see that the problem I don't see that being the problem I think the mundanity mundanity is the problem right I think the but I think there's a way of getting around that is, is sort of that's where we're you just, and I not just, for, just, just but not just like messing with time I mean well I think that there's a I think there's ways to sort of not make this feel so staid I just don't understand why they didn't have Frank work on the screenplay like he was still alive at that point and it's possible that he didn't it's possible he didn't want to it's possible sure. that he that he's i mean he, i don't think he's ever uh, adapted anything before it's possible that he i don't know yeah. there's any number of, of reasons why at the time that wasn't happening a lot That's that happens true. a lot yeah. now That's we're like true. i mean it's not a memoir we're like we're you know gillian flynn yeah. basically writes all the screenplays now yeah. um but i i mean not to beat a dead horse these are hard things to do. It's very hard it's to unbelievable. It's hard. very hard to adapt because when with a memoir, what really what really matters more than anything, and I think Lola, you keep like kind of hitting this is tone, mm-hmm. tone, tone, yeah, tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And to to adapt the tone of a piece of literature to film, especially not, no knocking Alan Parker, but he's pretty down the middle is really, really hard to do. So there are only really two ways I can think to do it. It's, it's forget about everything else and just dive into tone yeah, or make some kind of comment on the book. Well, it, right. it's interesting because not, not to the 127 hours thing is interesting because of a bunch of things. But when, the, when I read that they were making that movie, I thought to myself, I don't know. How do, how do you make this into a movie? How do you make a guy who's trapped in a, in a cave for, 127 hours. Interesting. And leave it to Danny Boyle to do a really tremendous job. Mm-hmm. He, and, and, the, you know, obviously, uh, the screenwriters as well. But my point is they took this and they kind of, they deconstructed it and they came at it in a bunch of different ways. And they really sort of broke this guy's life into a really fascinating mosaic of all these different images and stories. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's brilliant in that way. You can't do this with this material. I'm not suggesting that you can, but it just feels like, it's just a it's a flat movie, and part of it, I absolutely agree with you, is the is the memoir, which is that it's it's not a particularly singular story, so that hurts it. But its tone as well, there's just a bunch of things that this movie just doesn't do well, and it's also and I, I don't mean to reiterate it, but the the running time really hurts this movie. I think that if you shave 15 or 20 minutes out of this film, it's tighter. It's more interesting. You're getting to the third act where the movie, I think, comes as close to taking flight as it can. And it just takes us an hour and 45 minutes to get there. Mm -hmm. It's just – it's crazy. So I I don't know. I think that there's – 
there's a lot of things working and not working. There's a lot of things working against this material. Well, isn't say. the Orchid Thief is that a memoir? That's I mean, it's, uh, that and then it's. I mean, I, <laughs> well, but that's yeah. yeah I like, could never. I mean, that's. It's not a memoir because she's not writing really about herself. She's got it. Susan, Susan, Orlean is not really writing about herself. Got it. She's not, I don't even know if she's really in the Orchid Thief. I think she does write it in first person. Isn't she like the Meryl Streep character? She is. She is, but I don't know. It's really about John, uh, whatever. But then the whole movie is about how How, hard it is is, to adapt something like that. That is like Um, the point that you're making was made into a brilliant film. I love that movie so (laughs) much. It's the best. It's amazing. Um, Because that's about a, a, that's about a writer's struggle to actually figure out how to adapt this book. That's the nonfiction book, which is, which is, you know, there's autobiographies, which are pretty easy. I think not easy, but they're, they're, they're episodic. There's a great, the, 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 the best biopic that I can think of. That's, you know, kind of a, a straight up biopic. That's not Nixon, which is really my favorite. Nixon's uh, great. It's not a biopic in any way. Nixon isn't. Nixon is a persuasive essay. Um, <laughs> I, I don't disagree with that. You know, it's, it's not. An, it's not an attempt to be an honest portrayal of the man's life. It's an attempt to make an argument about his life. Malcolm X is to me the best biopic. Biopic, and it's episodic, and I can just kind of roll with it. But every event in that person's life is so shocking and but incredible. I don't know. Like I think that. The idea that things have to be so incredible, like it's the story itself, is not unlike Brooklyn. Well, I was um, I was going to ask you about Brooklyn. We saw that together. I think that's a beautiful film. Thing. So I was going to ask you about Brooklyn um, because, but the story and what happens to her and all, everything about it is it's sort of similar in that it happened to many many people. But I think it's – I don't know what your feelings are on it. But Brooklyn I think was my favorite movie of that year. Oh, wow. Brooklyn is one of my favorite movies of the last it's a great movie. 10 years. I think it's an incredible film. Uh, I think it's beautiful and perfect and I fucking hate people who don't like it. So <laughs> that's my so feeling on this. And I was yeah, just right. about to ask you about Brooklyn because yeah. I keep thinking about Brooklyn too. So right. the difference is one, Brooklyn is from a novel. It's adapted from, adapted from a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, two – it's a pretty straight line. Mm-hmm. Three, there's a pretty and – and obviously like Angela's Ashes is linear, but it's not a straight line. We're going over the course of 15 years. Mm-hmm. Three, uh, the character it, – it's fundamentally it's – a, it's a, the perfect tightest screenplay. It's fundamentally about the character's transformation from you know, antithesis to thesis at the end. The immigrant experience. The immigrant experience um, – and the romance is so beautiful, and it's it's. Yeah. They're, they're, oh, he's so dreamy. He's so good. Why is that guy Emery Cohen? Why is he so not the he biggest not fucking actor? I don't <laughs> understand so it because yeah. he's not. It's funny you say dreamy. Like he's to me, he's not the best looking guy, but he's like the most attractive guy. Like, Absolutely, he is so. And I, you know, Don Hill Gleason is like, yeah, Don yeah. yeah, and he's wonderful too. Sure, Don Donald. Don- Donald. Donald. Donald Gleason. Donald Gleason. He's 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 got a look he's from a Lola. Very underrated. Actor. He's very underrated actor. Name. My understanding is women find him very attractive. Um, Donald. Yes. This is. I was actually going to talk about the Maliki character in this, and and how like Irish men, the Robert Carlo. Yeah. yeah. So Irish men, I think. Are not, are, I'm going to just get in so much trouble. <laughs> if anyone, if any of my Irish guy friends hear this, man. Um, so like we aren't the 
best looking people sometimes. We we can be sort of traditionally not the most attractive. You know, we're short, ruddy faced ginger people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was, uh, well. But I mean, we have our beauties for sure. But um, I think that there is a charm to a lot of Irish men. I don't know if they know that they need it (laughs) or or what it is. Um, uh, This is. And I say this about myself. As an Irish person, you can say whatever you want. I have a face for radio as well. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Um, But I think that there's a charm to Irish people that makes – I'm very attracted to Irish men. I I think that – and I generally am just attracted to personality, I think, as well. And and some Irish men are obscenely attractive. But I think that there's a culture of you have to be charming. And you don't – American men aren't always – like that isn't – it seems as imperative. Well, can I, I, I actually want to ask you a question about this because Malachi's character is, it's a real high wire act to, mm-hmm. in terms of that character for us to care about him and love him considering what he's doing to his family is, is really brutal. Yeah, so and, and I, I don't think Robert Carlyle, as much as I love him, and I actually really like him in the two other movies in 99, uh, Ravenous and, and The World Is Not Enough, two very different movies, yeah. as is this, He's just not right for the role at all. Like it needed someone with with a gravity, but also a lightness. Like he just, he I know has that Liam Neeson turned down yeah. the role, and he was sort of the first person they went to. And I don't, oh, that would have sucked. I don't think that would have been right either. The person that came to mind, and he would have been too young at the time, but like Colin Farrell, I think would have been interesting. Joel, he was a Joel child Edgerton. at the time. Yeah, Joel, no, he would he yeah. would have been right. But Joel Edgerton is he? He, I don't know, but he feels that he that's who that's, that's who it feels yeah, like yeah, to yeah. me. Well, yeah. there were you know, yeah, there were a lot of. I mean, guys obviously, there's there's the Daniel Day Lewis, which is I mean, Pierce Brosnan was also considered. Yeah. Which, that's interesting. Which is interesting. So he's handsome. a he's he is so good so, so good looking. And he's Irish. He's charming. Yeah. So there you go. Some men, um, some Irishmen are devastatingly handsome. Devastatingly handsome. Absolutely. He's and, the one. And the, you were talking about the hot priest on Fleabag. Oh, yeah. Andrew he's, Scott is the hottest man in the entire world. And he's an Irishman. Yeah. He's he Irish. would have been interesting. Um, I guess it's he just, was a little young as well at the time. I'm just speaking sort of right. in, in a vacuum. No, Andrew Scott actually would have been. If he was the the right Andrew Scott, yes. if you were going to make Angela's ashes now, yeah. he would be the perfect because Malachi. you love him. Ma- and Malachi is constantly singing, and and uh. they even keep it. They keep a line that refers to his constant song in the the film, but they never have so, him sing, yeah. which is bizarre to me. And you don't understand why Angela stays with him in the you film. You don't. They, they, I don't you think have they no even. They don't for Angela. Once oh, I. I uh, okay. Did you buy their their? It's affection? not even a matter of buying their affection. Okay. I understood. I felt like I understood why she stood with them, stayed with them. Just felt like she had no other options. Um, that's well, that, she's that's so what much she, happier once he leaves. Yeah, um, but I think you know that's kind of the there's that that to me that felt like. But the, why do they keep having babies? I mean, they're having oh, sex, oh my God. and and there's a sexuality between the two yes. of them yes. that and and just a charm to that character of Malachi that. I think he's totally lost in the film. He he's such a piece of shit. He said <laughs> if you, he he said in so many words, if you don't have sex with me, you're going to hell. Yeah. Um that's part of what Which, it is. If if said in the right way is a joke and sort of funny. It seemed like it. Not, not in this, this not in but this. not in the no, film. No, no, it's like no, almost no. terrifying yeah, the way was, he says yeah, it. Yeah, it was it was rape adjacent. Like yeah. it was he cuz he was basically behind her and he was trying to have sex with her and she's like 
not tonight. And then finally, I think she said, I'd rather go to hell than have sex. It was, I'd rather go to hell than have another child, but it really was, I'd rather yeah. go to hell than like prolong what we've got going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a really great line in Roger Ebert's review, which is relatively positive of this film, where he said, what a wonder, what's wonderful about Angela's ashes is Emily Watson's performance and the other roles that are convincingly cast. She is the kind of bitterness mixed with resignation that was forced on a woman in a country where marriage to a drunk was a life sentence. And it was a greater sin to desert him than to let him starve her children. Oh, I should also mentioned that divorce was illegal in ireland so um so to your point she was sort of stuck um divorce was illegal until the mid 90s so you couldn't divorce your husband unless you had to like prove reason Mm -hmm. if he was abusing you and there were certain things that would allow for it but yeah women would get very stuck in these scenarios but generally they wouldn't keep making babies um to to this whole point in the because i I think this is someone it seems like it's a little informed by the book and i'm not familiar with it um is uh in the book is maliki are there is their relationship more affectionate is the idea that she's with him because she loves him and he loves her and and you can understand that he's charming in certain sense and i think that he's um He's just a very classic sort of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde drunk where he has this one personality that is he's a good dad in a way and loves his kids. That's true in the movie too. And is constantly singing and is still a fun drunk in many ways but then has another side to him that's abusive and awful and and just deeply depressed and – I don't I think, feel like we see any of that, though. Yeah. Like, in, in, oh, on either the, side of it. So, correct me if I'm wrong. I want to circle I don't, back to Angela. I, I don't remember any just uh, – am I wrong? Was there physical abuse from, from Malachi towards Angela? I didn't I, sense that in the film. Because I don't remember physical abuse. I thought but that – But she does get beat by him in the book. Wow. Okay. I wonder why they avoided that. Because in the film, the I, I did feel – like he was pathetic, and I thought that 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 was the overwhelming, you know, the the equivalent in, in so many other things would be, you know, uh, get your paycheck, go to the track, blow it all in one night, sure. you have no money to come home, um, whatever. It's the same thing. He goes to the bar, spends his three shillings, and and blows it, and it's just pathetic and sad. Um, but yeah, I, I think I did, did. The depression did come across to me. I you, yeah sorry I did see his depression I didn't really see the 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 sort of the charm of him from the book right. and I and I didn't and we didn't see the necessarily the overt abuse the of physical him. abuse so it, it's it's interesting I just I Emily Watson's great in this movie I disagree I I mean I I always kind of like Emily I Watson. love her in so, every movie but this movie I think she's she's kind of saddled with. With a obviously with a joyless role, I disagree. I again, didn't, I didn't read the book, uh-huh. so I don't. I'm just speaking to the way that this role was written and directed. It didn't seem as though she really had much joy, or or sort of. I don't know what the right word is, but I I think that she's good in this movie, but I also don't know that it really works to her. Strengths, like I think, my, my, I think she was miscast. Absolutely, like, I think like, that she's great in Breaking the Waves. I think she's tremendous in that film, which was sort of the movie that got her put her on the map for, and early in her mm-hmm. career. She's struggled to sort of 
find roles that really tap into what's special about her. I yeah. feel like because I was looking at her filmography, she's unbelievable Ugh, in that. Movie. I fell in love with her in that. Yeah. She's, she's and she's great in Gosford Park good, too. But, but I, I think she's she's sort of down the. She's yeah. very good at these very reserved boiling pot characters, and that is just not Irish women. And, mm. Like, and it's definitely not Angela. And I think that mm. the you know she's the titular character, and she is there is a. I just think that Angela is just a bit boring and I don't think it's Alan Parker because mm-hmm. Commitments was full of incredibly lively women. Yes. And Mary, uh, what is it? Is it Maria Doyle Kennedy, mm-hmm. who's in the Commitments, I think would have been a spectacular oh, Angela. That's interesting. I remember um, her in that film. Yeah. And she's Irish, obviously. And I think that she, Watson is just so English in this very specific way. And all of her choices as Angela are very English and very like middle, middle upper class English. Mm. There isn't, there's a, there's a sense of stakes with Irish people of everything being sort of like hot and it leads to high drama and high comedy. And like, I think that she's just so subdued all of the time sure. that the pulse of the movie is so low constantly. And we needed yeah. that, that sort of that craziness almost and and charm and i mean i think that like sam mortensen also like if it had to be someone like uh, english samantha morton samantha morton sure sorry i, I misspoke um it she, would have been she has mm-hmm. that off kilter sort of thing about her mm-hmm. where she can be really funny mm-hmm. and also you can just see a sadness. She has a, she grew up in foster care. Like, I think she has that background of, of knowing that kind of pain. And like Watson has admitted that she had like a very, yeah. uh, Happy childhood Mm -hmm. in lovely circumstances. And she's an incredible actress, but I don't think she was correct. It's it's hard to, um, as someone never read the book, it's hard to understand why it's even called Angela's Ashes. Yeah, I was going to ask that question, but I didn't want to seem like an idiot. Why is it called Angela's Ashes? I think his relationship to his mother is the is a lot of the arc and and the letting go of that and him leaving her on her own is a huge part of his journey. And and that moment to me, I do think that if there was one thing that worked well, it was the confession scene where he goes mm-hmm. after he's like goes and goes back. He goes to he goes to the Franciscan mon- monk mm-hmm. and is sobbing after he's hit his mother and called oh, her a right. slut. And I, I was surprised by rewatching it actually because being Irish Catholic growing up, obviously during the nineties, uh, just it's a complicated relationship with the church um, because of the scandal of priests molesting children and there's just it's. it's 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 hard to be Catholic and happy about it and to remember that there are good parts to it. But I I watched the movie again and I, I thought like, oh, that – and credit to Alan Parker, who's not Catholic. I think he, he had this moment of celebration of Catholicism that was actually quite beautiful and the idea of redemption and being able to – fix yourself by admitting your wrongs and moving past them is something that Catholicism is set up for. And I think it is a gift. And mm-hmm. um, I, th- I thought that that moment was both funny and was this moment of him becoming a man and really changing. Um, so I, th- I think yeah. that that, that there was whole a catharsis scene, for sure. Mm-hmm. In that, in that whole portion of it. Yeah. I, I actually thought that the, the, 
the actor that played the eldest version of Frank, I thought was pretty great. Um, I actually looked him up to see if he had been in other stuff. He's been in some British television shows and what have you, but I thought he was, I thought he actually was. He was the least fantastic. funny. I liked Owen. The Owens, middle one? The Kieran Owens. Uh, the Owens brothers, I think, are fantastic actors. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one has a small role in the film, but I thought his sense of humor mm-hmm. was the most spot on. Yeah. I, I mean, I, maybe it's possible too that, like I mentioned, that that version of Frank's life, that portion, I found the most interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So I was mm-hmm. sort of that immediately of drawn to it. Um, I also thought that Carrie Condon, who plays uh, Teresa, the girl that he um, that he sleeps with, yeah. she's such a great actress. I wish that she was in more stuff. Um, she was great in Rome. She was in Luck as well. Both, uh, but yeah, she's. I think she was great. I'm going to read the synopsis an hour into our uh, <laughs> into our podcast, just uh, in case anybody needs to know what this movie is about. Uh, in 1935, when it's more common for Irish families to leave their famine-stricken country for America, the impoverished McCourt family does the reverse. Following the sudden death of her seven-week-old daughter Angela, played by Emily Watson, and her unemployable alcoholic husband. Malachy Sr., played by Robert Carlyle, set sail for New York Harbor to Cork with their four children. Uh, Angela's Ashes opened on Christmas Day, 1999, in 46th place. It was platformed uh, against any given Sunday, the talented Mr. Ripley, Galaxy Quest, and Man on the Moon. It would go on to make $13 million on a $50 million budget. Uh, it has 52% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 81% from audiences, which I was a little bit surprised that audiences liked this film as much as they did for what that's worth. Um, I think that uh, Variety had an interesting, I'll read a portion of their reviewer. They said, like a stone skipping across the surface of the book, Alan Parker's film version of Angela's Ashes artfully evokes the physical realities of Irish poverty, but mostly misses the humor, lyricism, and emotional charge of Frank McCourt's magical and magnificent memoir. The rare and delicate nature of the phenomenal bestseller stacked the cards against any film adaptation from the outset. And while there will be plenty of readers eager to see how the task was attempted, Pick fa- uh, faces an uphill commercial struggle which I think is a pretty apt way of looking at it. Um, you know, I, I, it's it's interesting to sort of um, – I, I sort of want to talk a little bit about the, the, the sort of Oscar bait of this movie. Um, you've got Scott Rudin who gets the, the rights to the book. Uh, Scott Rudin who um, – I'm going to look him up just for, for our listeners. You know, he has made – a lot of movies. A uh, lot of movies that you love. A lot of movies that you love. Uh, he is, um, I mean, he won the Oscar for No Country for Old Men, uh, but he did The Social Network, The Truman Show, Lady Bird, um, you know, a million things that, you, that you've, that you and television as well. Um, Moonrise Kingdom, he's done most of uh, a good chunk of Fincher's movies. He did Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Extremely Loud, Incredibly Close, Moneyball. I mean, the list goes on. He's and done he, a lot of things. And he has an interesting reputation. He's a difficult person from what I've heard. <laughs> he, he's had literally hundreds of assistants, some who some who have gone on to become very big Hollywood players, most who don't feel any shame about telling stories no. about him throwing staplers. It's true. Um, I mean, he's produced 141 things. He he's, has he's this kind of, of like – I mean, I, I in no way am I trying to cast aspersions on him. But uh, <laughs> he kind of has – it's such a horrible thing to say. There's Harvey Weinstein. There's Scott Rudin. They're really, in a lot of ways, the men who have yep. who had who, who brought modern Oscar camp- Oscar campaigning to what it is now. Um, they both have they both have sought out IP literary works to turn into Oscar movies with a lot of success. They both have really big forceful personalities, and one of them is a 
uh, rapist and a monster. And the other one has got Rudin, who hasn't done that. And, um, you know, that's kind of, he's, he's one of those guys that I, I look at his filmography and it is, it is an unbelievable array of films and television. He's also significantly more talented than Harvard. He Weinstein. is. He also, he, he these also are significantly better movies outside 100%. of the Quentin stuff. These are yes. significantly better movies than anything Harvey Weinstein has ever done. Well, cause most of Harvey Weinstein's fame to a certain degree or the Miramax brand was a lot of distribution. It was a lot of buying sort of film festival movies to a certain degree mm-hmm. and finding ways to, to bring them to America, but recutting them and, and, and fucking a hundred percent. Whereas Rudin is a guy who, um, empowers great empowers filmmakers. great filmmakers and also chases great pieces of literature yeah. of literature like he's just a guy that that there's an unquestionable intellectualism to what scott rudin is doing versus what miramax did and the All- best filmmakers like working with him yes you know because i think he fights the fights for them mm-hmm. um that being said there's a quote that i sent you uh when we were texting lola um scott rudin on literary adaptations where he said if you treat a literary work like it's a literary work you're going to fail if you treat a literary work like it's something to be pillaged and mangled into a movie you have a shot at making it work (laughs) applause from ken i think it's i i think that that is a an acknowledgement of the mediums being very different The mediums are so different there is no fucking and yet way. this he did not do that with yeah that's why it's a failure yeah. there's there's you cannot approach a, a literary work and adapt it faithfully and have it be a good movie i don't think it's ever happened you have to turn it into a film or a television show or a play which he yeah. does time and time again mm-hmm. it's to ch- kill a mockingbird recently to kill a, you have well yeah you have you you have to do something different. We have to make your own separate argument with a different media. It's a different you animal. To. You have it, it. It has to be its own thing. And I, I, and when I sent that quote to you, I said it sort of like a like. I wasn't sure how to take it, and it does feel a little bit like it could be seen as looking down on the on another medium, which I don't necessarily think that's what he's doing. No. But it's but I just think it's interesting that a, for a producer to be that sort of understanding of how these two mediums interact with one the, another. For I mean this is this is not a perfect one to one, but my favorite covers of songs are not faithful covers. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't want to hear someone do it the exact same way someone else. I want to oh, hear, you know, I want to hear Jimi Hendrix take on all about the Watchtower. I want to hear, you know, Johnny Johnny Cash's take on Hurt. Like these are different these are these are these are different takes on songs I love. So I I just think when another artist takes on someone else's work, you have to adapt it through your own lens or you have nothing. If Rudin was doing that and he just messed up, he was like, I'm going to take this funny book and just make it really <laughs> sad. Well, it's funny. What, it's, it's definitely possible that that's what happened. Yeah. It's definitely possible that to me that that. No one read the book. <laughs> well, a lot of people read the book. No, 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 not I mean banking. people with I mean, pe- right. I mean people who who were involved in making this. Oh, right. I, everybody read the book. Now, right. that, that's clear, but it's very possible that people that that no one cracked the cover open, just looked at the sad boy on the cover. I think the cover is not the same as the, but it's a very dour, right? You know, kind of macabre looking cover, and said, "That's our movie." 
babies die. <laughs> um, and I get think, your Oscars ready. And I think we can English patient our way into an Oscar nominee right. nomination. I think that I, I think that's absolutely. It seems to be that that was the modus operandi. And it doesn't seem like they asked anyone who had read the book, like, what did you enjoy about this book? And let's try to do that. It felt as though they were, they were very faithful to a lot of the details that didn't matter, but, but just did not care about what made the book work. It, this is also the type of thing where, um, you have this book, which is so phenomenally successful, wins the Pulitzer, everybody loves this book. So you're immediately like, well, we're going to make it into a movie, obviously, like someone, right. when maybe you shouldn't, but sure. putting that aside, this was an uphill battle on many fronts to get people into the seats to see this movie. I mean, it really is. The subject matter, uh, how do you how do you market this movie? I mean, did you remember the poster? Did you see the poster? It's just a, just a sour sad looking kid, poster. just a sad ass sour looking kid in black and white. A fucking right. sad ass poster. <laughs> like it could have been the sheep, the boys. <laughs> but honestly, I feel like exactly. that would get people in the seats far more. If if there was any comedy in the trailer, or like there was any sense of what made the book great, and I think that that there is something appealing. To, I think there is a a version of this that could have been successful. I disagree with. The the notion oh, that I'm it not, was impossible. I, well, Kenny, I <laughs> not you. I don't feel like it's impossible. Right. I feel like I, I I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, Phil Phil and I both really love a few Fincher adaptations of books that would have been destroyed by other people, like sure. Gone Girl. Um, in the in, in the most hands, hands yeah. most hands, almost every set of hands, brilliant adaptation would have been a mess. And it because was Jillian and Flynn brilliant. was in, involved, though partly. That's a big part, and you know, I also the girl dragon tattoo I think was really incredible. Mm-hmm. But I think the Gillian Flynn part being involved is, is kind of what I'm is part of what I'm getting at, which is basically there are two ways I could think of to to take a literary work and knock it out of the park, which is one have the original author involved, yes, um, because what they brought to it is theirs and theirs alone or two get someone who's like on par with that, with that mm-hmm. person to bring something new to it, to bring a new sense, new sensibility to it. I mean, gone girl. Hi, I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created pretty litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. They clearly just were on the same page and clicking it and everything just, just kind for of sure, For sure, for sure. I, I, t- I also just want to just really quickly, because mm-hmm. we were talking about the poster a little bit and about the marketing. And I really do feel as though it really can be encapsulated by if you look at the cover of the book, 
and you see this picture of Frank. Yeah. And he looks mischievous and he's kind of he's got this fun. like he's got this kind of weird smile on his face. And then this is the poster. Yeah. And you're just like, that's the problem. That's yeah, the discrepancy that's where it. you're you're just you've lost what was mischievous and 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 playful, if that's even the right word, about the book. And that's the only way you're gonna get people to the theater. I just I just don't really get it. But I mean, I also think that the like it really failed to get Irish Americans on board. And part of that is the the lack of fun. And I think that uh, Irish American population is no joke. There are just so many Irish people who have an an immense amount of pride in their culture to the the point that I don't even get it Like as a somewhat Irish person. Like Uh there are Irish Americans are more intensely proud than Irish people about their culture. But I think, you know, you talk to, you know, some dude named Colin who, who has like a shamrock tattoo about like why he loves being Irish. And it's like, it's all about the fun and like the drinking and like, you know, it's like my great, great grandfather. And it's, it's also about survival. Th- that is the, the story. It is about right. pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and getting it done and having a good time doing it. Like that, I think is lost in this film. It is absolutely lost. And also I think that with that market, Word of mouth is a big thing. Like, sure. I think that Irish people love to talk to each other. And if you had a bunch of Irish people wanting to see this movie in America, it right. could have done so much better. Yeah, I just, it, it's, yeah. There were just a lot of mistakes were made in terms of how to delineate this book into a film. Um, I think that the, you know, the casting is tricky. You know, I, I, I don't wanted to ask you about that, like how you feel as a Jewish person when like Shiksas and Goys play Jewish people in, wi- in in stories in which the culture is very much important to the story. I don't care. I don't really care either. Um, I mean, like, it doesn't bother me that, that Rachel Brosnahan is not. Yeah, Jewish. I was wondering. How like, I, I think she's Maisel. so brilliant in the role. And yeah. I, I mean, uh, I don't care. But I think that that might be a function of. Jews not being underrepresented in Hollywood. Mm. So we, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, Like if, if there were like only a couple of Jewish stories being told, I might feel differently, but there's no shortage of them. Happens every, like half the fucking movies we do have like, have, have some kind of, you know, Jewish adjacent story. So, um, if you can't play a Jew, you'd have a hard time getting a lot of roles. No, I, I, no, I, 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 I do. I think that I, I don't think that that we have any representation problem. Um, right. So yeah. it doesn't it doesn't bother. It's me. not one to one. Yeah, I would say. I think that I, as I recall, I, I'm a, a little less upset by this, and I wasn't at the time, but I do recall Watson, the two leads, not being Irish being an issue for Irish people. And especially because the peace treaty had just been signed like in 1998. So the tension with the English and English representation is very high. And I actually, if if you try to think of Irish superstars and like Irish actors who have been very, very successful, the list is quite short. Mm -hmm. So the lack of representation in those two roles was an issue for Irish people, as I recall. When it's, I would also argue too that you know, not to, not to talk too much about the business of it, but you've got fifty million dollars on the line here, right? So you mm. you want at least you in theory want to put actors in these in Angela's role and in Malachi's role 
of some note, right? I mean, the right. movie's hanging on them to a certain degree. I and, get that, yeah. So, but again, it comes back to why are you spending fifty million dollars on this movie? Like, you just you just don't need to. Yeah. And I think that if you would, you would shave twenty million off of this movie, first of all, you wouldn't have lost as much. But then, like, the expectations might not have been as high. The movie would have been able to flourish under sort of perhaps better actors that are lesser known or or mm-hmm. you know a, a smaller director. Perhaps it's just it's just choices that were made to sort of elevate this to being you know, an important quote unquote adaptation and make it, you know, we're putting all this money into this. We're making this into this big Oscar play as opposed to just making the best movie that you can make, mm-hmm. which is never, uh, you know what I mean? Which is, which should always be the priority. And, and the, it does feel like Oscar bait stuff. Sometimes we put all this, you know, the Oscar race, it seems starts earlier and earlier and earlier every year where it's like, what movie is going to make it this year? What's going to be the one to win the Oscars? Although, you know, the viewership is dwindling and why do we keep talking about the Oscars? But it's just interesting to see movies like this fail. I don't think that's – we talk about the Oscars. We've talked about the Oscars a lot on this podcast. The reason we talk about the Oscars has nothing to do with dwindling viewership sure. or, or viewership. It has to do with, with canonization. Of course. And with the with the way that um, – with the effect it has on people's careers. Um, sure. You know, there's basically – It's also fun. It's fun, and there's a whole raft of movies every year that have the singular goal of trying to win Oscars. Mm-hmm. It's also sports so, for people that don't like sports. Yeah, no, but <laughs> but, but that's the point. Yeah. Like these, yeah. like these movies. Every movie at TIFF and every movie at Venice and every movie at Telluride, et cetera, et cetera, exist only to try to win Oscars. So we we, we wouldn't be talking about the sport if we didn't acknowledge that. Um, I don't. Know, I kind of want to go back to the representation thing because I, sure. I, I hadn't thought about it um, at all, frankly. And I don't know. I mean, are Emily Watson and Robert Carlyle bringing in anybody? I mean, the answer is clearly no, because of uh, you the know box office the fifteen results. million dollar box office. Um, and kind of talking about what Lola was saying in terms of um, a more genuine portrayal of Irish culture would have at least gotten Irish people more excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that. You know, it, it is generally smarter to go more authentic than less authentic. But 1999, people weren't really there. Yeah. So in 1999, there w- there was this undercurrent of um, you couldn't get a couple Irish people. To oh yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, oh yeah. I remember is hearing undercurrent Irish not the right, people. Undercurrent's Irish not the right word. Very upfront about their feelings about things but i remember yeah hearing a lot of like you couldn't find a feckin irish woman <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's angela i, mean, I love richard harris had a he, oh he hated it he went to t- but <laughs> he hated it his perspective is a little weird um he hated it because of its representation oh, of limerick. poverty and limerick yeah. but he was a really well-off guy in limerick so i think there was a class thing there going on um because he claimed that it was was an unfair portrayal of of limerick and of and and i guess to your point how how aware was he really of what was going on sure he hated frank mccourt too specifically so he hated the film but he also (laughs) absolutely hated the book um and i think he was but yeah irish people did not like this film at all and i think that that was there Carlyle is at least Scottish. He's Glaswegian. So so I think that that was less of an issue. But having this very English actress play Angela was a great cause of offense. And I think that you can see it. I don't know if you guys can see it. And I have a very biased perspective. But that mom- there's a moment 
that I could tell without looking up the IMDb of the cast was like, oh, everybody in this room is Irish. And mm-hmm. it, it's this moment where it's just the two kids with Aunt Aggie, who's played by a celebrated comedic was, Irish actress. And and the supporting characters were actually Irish people. And it's just, you know, Uncle Pat Keating, it has the the little kid in his lap and he's like kissing his toes and like making jokes about, you know, how grubby he is. And they're all, it just feels kind of light and funny and like recognizably mm-hmm. Irish. And, and it's a place where I want to be for the first time in the film. And I think that that genuine perspective may be allowed for that, but I don't know if you, it's, if you could sense that as non-Irish people. Well, I, 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 don't. Couldn't, but yeah. that—that's not you know whether I could or not. It's like totally irrelevant. I—I I, I think well relevant because a lot of you know how Americans perceive this is very important. Obviously. I would. I, I, my my sense is I I may I I either would have sensed it kind of subconsciously or not, but it wouldn't have hurt the the. And I think that's kind of the bigger point I'm trying to make, which is uh, authenticity to me is always a good thing. Mm. Um, if you're going for authenticity, now I don't want to say you have to go for authenticity every time, right? But if you're going for authenticity, which I believe this movie is, uh, then more authentic, more authentic beats less authentic. And how is it, how difficult is it to have a English director and an English star put something together that feels authentic? Almost impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think that, Again, I don't think this movie could have risen that high, but I do think that, that that's a huge barrier for a movie like this. I, I, I think about 100%. it with black culture all the time. I mean, in terms yeah. of like, if you have a white director and you're doing something about a, a white rapper and you are trying to to present yourself as authentic to black culture or hip hop culture, um, how impo- how how almost impossible would that be? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to think. I mean, the, the one that comes to mind is Eight Mile, I guess, which I don't think is all that authentic. But at I, least Eminem I, kind I'm of the lived last it. To, yeah, there's a movie called Bodied, which I think is amazing. Okay, um, it's on YouTube right now, and uh, the director is Asian and the star is white, and it does do a really good job, in my white boy opinion, of presenting that culture. Mm-hmm. But I do, you know, I, I sound like I'm not like hearing, you know, people in black community talking about that movie so maybe i'm totally wrong right that being said it's not exactly going for an authentic representation of the culture right it's going for a representation of the culture through a you know affluent white boy's eyes right so there it's doing something different that's not what angel's ashes is doing yeah but alan parker really did i think there was something about the commitments that was there were times in which I was like, oh, no Irish band would be that bad. Or like there were times in which like it was just like, no, this isn't right. But I think the tone. Was it an Irish cast? It was a very Irish cast. Absolutely. Everyone in that cast was Irish. Um, But Parker, as a director, managed to handle the Irishness of Mm -hmm. that brilliantly. For better or worse. And like there's, like I said, a lot of stuff in there that I'm not proud of in our culture, but he, it was accurate. So it was also, I mean, that, you know, the, the commitments was, you know, the commitments had a, had a, had a budget of $14 million, you know, which is pretty low. Um, you know, it made 15, um, you know, that was, that was a, that was a pretty scrappy 
little movie for the most part. It felt like it was sort of a bunch of different producers bringing money into that. But I don't know. I, I think that as you were talking, I was thinking about whether or not there might have been people that didn't want to do this movie. And I, and I just, it, and from a director perspective, I wonder whether or not you've got to be thinking like, what, what am I taking on here? This is mm-hmm. a, this is a beloved book, um, a very personal book. Obviously it's a memoir. Uh, and, and then just, it just felt like you have to wonder whether or not, I guess my point is, was Neil Jordan approached Were a bunch of Irish people approached and people just being like, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm not saying that that right. happened. And Neil Jordan had just made butcher boy. So it's, that's possible. It's possible. And Butcher Boy is similar. It's so it, there. There are any number of, of possibilities here. That I guess the the question is, and then you've got you know producers and studios. We all know how this industry works and how it's not it's not binary. There's nothing easy about getting a film made. Um, you know, and 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 they took a risk, right? I mean, this was a they wrote a fifty million dollar check on on a decidedly difficult subject matter um, that you know would have had to make. 70 or 80 for them to see real profits. That's crazy mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you think about that. In, and that's in 99 dollars too. So I, I don't know. This was this was a this was a swing on on just a, a big piece of IP that they just thought was going to connect. But it's a big piece of IP. It's a big piece of IP, yeah. And also can we talk about how it is the opposite of what was happening? Like it was Y2K. It was like two weeks away from we were just like in the headspace of technology and this reset like and then this like Irish poverty movie like it's just like on Christmas day is there ever a good time for an Irish poverty movie I mean I think you should go home and watch Butcher Boy and I'm gonna go home and watch Butcher Boy so it's a great Irish poverty movie but it's interesting because it does feel like you get the occasional weird Christmas I mean Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is a Christmas movie um you this know, like, doesn't, it, 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 there's nothing to me. It's a weird thing. The the Christmas of it doesn't bump me. Okay. You know, I mean, Girl with the Jacket Tattoo, like also kind of like nothing. Well, like, that's kind of a thrill. Like this is just like. That was kind come, of programming. I mean, come that was- be sad on Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at it like come be cold on christmas oh, day sure actually yeah. weather wise weird fair point like there's something that's, just that's like around for us so. and there's and there's <laughs> yeah. and also like there's it's there i think that there's something about the angela's ashes idea that does feel like familial you know, ultimately, it's not. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if you can bring but, a kid into that movie. Oh no, I wouldn't bring like kids. Wanking to sheep and dying. I wouldn't bring kids, but there is dying this idea of like for children. It's <laughs> let's put it this way: there's coming from a, a a a book that's beloved, yeah, by mm, upper class white people. I think that there is a familiarity. And I didn't mean familial like family, but I mm-hmm. also a familiarity with the material that makes people that might theoretically make you feel comfortable with what you're about to experience. I, mean, um, I can see that it doesn't seem this, this, it's not as if it's a again no pun. It's not as if people are going in cold, yeah. you know. And I think that would be a weird thing on Christmas. But there is something to like come see the adaptation of the beloved book that you know youth that that. You pictured in your heads. I think the Goldfinch, if it was a Christmas release, would not be weird. It's interesting too, um, and again, not to to keep beating this dead horse of tone, but there is a part of me that feels like, had the book been adapted, 
the tone of the book been adapted. Even the trailer, which I remember seeing, I don't know if you guys remember the trailer, mm. but it was just this sad as fuck Irish music playing over. It there wasn't was no Irish dialogue. music. It wasn't Irish. No, music? it was John Williams shit. Was wasn't it? it? Okay, I thought, I thought, the, I think the trailer was, it was a teaser. Or maybe this okay. was the only trailer they did. There was no dialogue and it was over. There was some sort of Irish music over just solemn shit going down. And just thinking like, why would people want you're you're some, doing everything you can to not get people in this theater? Some people want that. I I, I have I well, knew there was sure. something I knew there was something that re- this reminded me of. Okay, Warhorse, Christmas release. I liked Warhorse. War, War yeah. Horse. Did you dance when you were watching Warhorse? No, Warhorse is incredibly sad. So is Warhorse sad. is a Christmas release. You go with your family. You hold hands. It's you know it's it, the, the 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 colors feel the same. The drabness feels the same. The emotion theoretically is the same there is a certain poverty porn aspect that weirdly you wouldn't call it porn if it didn't in some way make you feel better about yourself and now that i'm thinking about like the actual christmas story it is a poverty story and so you know it is about this poor family of immigrants who i just over but you're also talking about and and i Alan Parker, Steven Spielberg, two very different filmmakers. Spielberg uh, makes makes Warhorse entertainment yeah. and palatable. It makes it. It it's makes it. A, yeah, but it's 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 power comes from its sadness. That's true. You know, it's also and, about Emily. Watson, and I also right? think that, I, and I think that, and I, and I don't think you can <laughs> underrate. I don't think yeah. you can underrate that that sometimes sadness is a really powerful emotion that brings yeah, people together. Sure. There's yeah. a reason sure. that Old Yeller was a you know a familial. Yeah classic for so long you're absolutely right the loss there's something about that that weirdly feels right at christmas because you're not dying yeah. you know you're not you're, you're living you're with your family and, and right. everything actually is okay and this weirdly is like you know this movie ends with a shot of the statue of liberty it's true so you, there is a a a weird feel good i got out of it moment there is there is a wish fulfillment quality to it to a certain degree. An escapism. Least, escapism. I, I think that that's yeah. Like, I, I I I don't I think it's crazy. It's like all I'm getting at. Like I don't yeah. think it's like I can't even think of what a better time to release it would be. Like you're not going to release it in the summer. You're not going to spit it out in January or February when you're trying to win Oscars. No, I do think it's a fall movie for sure. And maybe, maybe Christmas is the best. I I think that this was one of the. I mean, listen. I think that Paramount. It was a Paramount Universal co-production, which is also interesting. So they split it between the two of them because mm-hmm. I think they both knew that this was probably not going to bring in a ton of money. Um, and I th- I'm sure they watched test screenings of it and I'm sure they knew that they had a hard movie on their hands and that, you know, and, and they did what they could to try to get word of mouth around Christmas. They got it in just under the wire as is the case for your Oscar consideration to try to sort of see if they could squeeze something out. I, I mean, I, it's, I, I think that, I think we can all agree Good that point. there were choices that were made that weren't ideal. Um, this movie's not bad, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's I think it's a it's a bit of a slog at times. Um but and I'm not also trying to say that like the the stuff up front is great, but like right. the stuff up front like affected me. Really? The two the, the twins dying? Wow. Yeah, yeah, it like the the baby dying was something, but that you know felt a little inciting incident. That that Right. Uh, then the the two twins dying back to back like that? Right. You yeah, know that affected me. That right. you're also Father of twins, a, father but that's, twins. But that's a very not, different wow, perspective. Yeah. But that, yes, that, uh, give me a break. You, you, everyone's going to be upset about. Oh, I was not dying, upset about it. But like the 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 <laughs> twins dying back to back like that, like yeah. uh, after the child and the, these parents now having two of five, like yeah. that's 
that to me actually is really affecting and that didn't really carry through that sadness didn't really carry through in fact it felt like they just were replaced which was real life and i understand that and i understand life goes on but that it did feel a little bit like i texted you i'm like the first hour of this movie's brutal it's brutal it's horrible yeah it's hard yeah oh my god i just wanted it to like not i found it brutal but i found it so brutal that i didn't feel a thing um and i feel and maybe that's the that's kind of what i'm getting at with frank mccourt's gift is that he gives you this breath so that you can absorb tragedy Mm -hmm. i feel like i it was just so sad that I couldn't really access the feelings. And then the thing that made me cry was that confession scene because I think the third act is a lot lighter. And then he does this thing and it's just, even when he calls his mom a slut, I just like was devastated by it. It really affected me emotionally because I think I was given the space to sort of laugh every once in a while and then get, pun not intended, but get hit in the face with this... The, the, tragic illness. The moment that made me cry, <laughs> weirdly, maybe not weirdly, uh, is the scene when uh, Aunt Uggie takes him to get a suit. I cried too. Uh, the moment when he um, the, appre- on the, cheek. the apprehension he has when he like that he's he's and had so reaction. little affection and her reaction like he's had so little affection in his life and someone's giving him something that he's like he's never had anything given to him in his life. Like it's just how. It, that's a brilliant, wonderful scene. Strictly from a storytelling point of view, mm-hmm. imagine this didn't really happen. Anyone else not like the ending? I hated the ending. <laughs> Wait, when he which the, part? The Moon Boys, the, 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 the Ghost b- Babies, the, the Ghost Moon Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Better title. The, no, I'm talking about the. Um, I'm talking about stealing the money and throwing. Oh, it, and throwing oh it. I loved that. I, I don't know what she did to deserve that. Um, and I not a, oh they didn't set that up very well but um, wait and she's dead so but, okay there's and there's no estate like there's no like he's not robbing from someone who she's also this she's you know taking she's not really taking like well she's the interest ra- rates are it's more set up in taking the book advantage she's people. taking advantage of very poor people and and the the freedom that he provides in that moment to so many impoverished people is is just i think really amazing and it it actually happened you know so i think i don't it, it doesn't strike me as triumphant as i think the the movie thought it was for me um I don't think that's triumphant. That's that's just kind of luck. Did and you like the ending of Fight Bu- Fight Club, where like they blow up everybody's debt and like there's no like because that was sort of the Irish provincial version of that. No, <laughs> I think I don't know. I think that's the I think that's terrible. I right. Think, I think in Fight Club that's a horrible. I mean, I I like the ending from a like look at what look at look at what toxic to- masculinity has gotten us. Sure. Like now we're terrorists and right. we think this is a triumph, but no, I'm not. I wasn't proud of them, and I, and no, I, I, I don't love the stealing of the money, and I'm not like super into. I get that like she was taking advantage of people, but like no, like it's it's I'm, I'm far more I, I think- I, I'm far I have much bigger problems with the Irish government and the Catholic Church, who are giving them you know money for a sheep's head on Christmas, and that's it. So like. I don't. It, it didn't. Okay. It wasn't triumphant to me. It was. It was. It was Deus ex machina, 
and it wasn't the product of 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 uh, anything he really did except for being in the right place at the right time. Um, I mean, I, I understand that the convenience of it to a certain degree is a little bit like you know we're at a certain point in the movie where it kind of it has to happen and they do it quickly and perhaps they don't they don't lay the piping as well as they could have in terms of how malicious this woman was because we don't really get that sense. Um, but I also would argue that for him, for someone who's been under the thumb of poverty for as long as he has and has watched his friends and his loved ones struggle in a system that that wants them there, for lack of a better way of putting it, I think the catharsis of him throwing the you know the the, the ledger in the water didn't necessarily resonate with me emotionally, but I understood it on an intellectual level as to why it was important, like. I, I know that they were striving for the music crescendos and he throws this ledger in the water. Like I know what they were going for. I don't think it totally hit me on that level, but I do understand the importance of it and why it needed to be in the story. Right. I think I would definitely find it morally problematic if she was alive, but because there is this, you know, like who there's no right. there's she doesn't have children she doesn't have relatives it's not like there's no one that he's necessarily stealing from like the the cost benefit analysis of that act just feels so clearly better for this group of people whose lives it changed that's that's so, fine it's and and that's fine like i don't have a huge problem with that part as much as i have a problem with the storytelling this character no this character has a goal and he he achieves his goal by walking in on a dead woman stealing 60 bucks from her so like right it's a it's a plot contrivance yeah and especially when you also boil down if he if he spent his entire life living with emily watson literally struggling to feed people Take that sixty bucks and then spend fifty five of it on you know a, a ticket out of town. A ticket out of town. That's that's just it. It, it doesn't. But that's it, what she wants for him. And I think maybe this is like the Irishness of it all. Is like the only way out is escape. And I liked that this was dumb luck because that's the only way out for him is dumb luck. An act like that was, and it's true to life. Like Frank McCourt would not have written what he wrote and would not have had the life that he had if it weren't for the absolute stupid luck of walking in on this dead woman and stealing this money. The the opportunity to get out was just not available to almost everyone. And and getting out with that much cushion to be able to like actually survive. You could get to America, but then it would be this like slog and and you know, it, which you, it obviously yeah. was for his parents. So yeah, I, and I, yes. but the opportunity to actually like make a break and make something of yourself was just the hopelessness of it and how much that infected people's lives and and the the I love I think that these scenes where he goes into the movie theater and the, the the hope of America for Irish people was just so great that like Angela absolutely wanted him to leave. I understand that, but it doesn't make for great storytelling. It just uh, it the 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 dumb luck of it, the Deus Ex Machina of it, just doesn't make for great storytelling. Um, our main character didn't really earn it so that's and 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 on top of that from kind of a metaphysical perspective he didn't show me why he deserves it over everybody else if that makes sense over his three brothers for instance Mm -hmm. so um yeah that's why that that's why it left me a little cold Mm. yeah i mean i i 
I, I really do see both sides of this. I think that I, I think it could have been executed better. Um, well, it, it, it is what it, it is. What it is. I do agree with that. Like yeah. it is what it is. Like that's the thing. Like the fact that it really happened. Yeah. There's no real. That, that's what I'm trying to kind of parse. There's there's no real Deus ex machina in life. Right. Life right. happens. Like if 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 that's what happened in the guy's life, that's what happened in the guy's life. That's how the story ends. That's how the story ends. Um. So you can't really do it any other way. But in terms of a story you tell. That's not the most fulfilling ending to a story you you tell or a story you hear. That's really all I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree with that. Yeah, uh, I guess I felt it was earned in a story with no luck. Like it mm-hmm. felt like you know there was just so mu- so many bad things happening mm-hmm. that even just statistically it feels like bad things, bad things, bad things. Okay, a good thing, a very good thing is going to happen eventually to someone. I see what you're saying about it coming when it came in the story and that being a deus ex machina. I understand that, but I do feel like luck happens to people. It does, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that one of the things that, that I did really like, did really like about this movie was that um, watching Frank's character fall in love with words mm-hmm. and with his ability. The to Shakespeare. Write, the Shakespeare <laughs> of it. Um, the sort of his learning to, to, to wield his art. And I think they did a pretty good job. I think they that. did a, and, and it was, it was subtly done. I thought for the most part, you know, when we do get to this woman who wants him to write these letters, to, these threatening letters to people so that they pay their debts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked him sort of realizing, Oh, I have this gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I appreciated that. And, and it's something that you sort of see hinted throughout it. And it's, it's, I thought it was very well thread into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and they don't really, they don't really hit you with it at the end. They don't even really tell you that he went on to write this book. You know what I mean? Or that he went on. I mean, we, we, we have no real sense of that, which is interesting. I'm not really, I'm not entirely convinced that that is maybe the most cathartic ending. Do you think anybody who saw this. this movie doesn't know that. Well, I don't know about anybody. The majority of the people obviously do. I think I think that that's but, an okay thing okay. for the producers, directors to assume the the audience mm-hmm. knows going in. Okay. I'm um, either way, I thought I thought that was really well done. I didn't really love the uh the eclipse. It looked pretty, but I thought it was a little a little hacky. I thought the ghost boys were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote of the, the, of the podcast. I thought <laughs> the ghost boys were stupid. I, I didn't mind the, we just the didn't eclipse. Need yeah. And I loved the Irishness of these of Aunt Aggie and everybody going yeah. out into the lane and like looking at this big event because it just sort of speaks to the boring nature of living in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. And how but how much excitement is created yes. by Irish people. How like that that event, though it was like sort of mundane, felt fun to me. Like I wanted to be in that lane at that moment because oh, I, like I liked that yeah. moment. I didn't like the ghost boys and just sort of it it felt a little bit like a like a fake climax a little bit like they were right. kind of jamming a bunch of stuff into this a little moment. bit yeah. like walk on the moon with the walk yes. on the moon <laughs> but i uh indeed i'm all, i'm always a big fan of like you make that movie so so stupid i no, fucking love that i movie. know that movie's great yeah. but just saying oh yeah it's like it's walk great. on the moon with the walk on the moon no, it's like i i'm a big fan of things that are like exciting to us now 
still being like, like things that have always happened, yeah. you know, that like, I love eclipses in times before there was like the internet or before there was TV, Sure, the same things that get, that get us all outside watching something together. So that's yeah, kind of, that's actually a great there's point. just something, but I don't know. There's something cool about that thing to me, a collective um, experience, any collective yeah. experience. It's always kind of been any like, yeah. you know, kind of natural phenomenon, yeah. like kind of excites me. Um, that stuff. I don't know. I like Walk on the Moon better than this movie. I love <laughs> yeah, it. No, I like fair. I like Walk yeah, on the Moon better than this movie too. Yeah. I thought that you know, I, I think that, you know, we've 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 hit most of the most of the plot, but it, it does feel a little bit like and again, this is memoritis of just sort of mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a it's a walk down a, a path where it's just sort of like well, it's episodic. Yeah, and, and then this happens and this happens, happens, and, this and, this happens. happens and, and it and it's a string of pearls in that regard. And you know, I I think that it works sometimes, and it it doesn't at others. I think as is as is the case with any episodic anything, you know, certain episodes are stronger than others. Um, I thought that that Angela kind of disappears. She kind of her character kind of disappears. I recedes. thought she became more vibrant in the third act. She's more um, vibrant, but she's not in it as much. Yeah. If if it weren't called Angela's Ashes, and she wasn't played by the biggest star in the movie, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't even realize that, that that was an important part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, like right. I, it's right. not really about her and, and you wouldn't have even noticed that she disappeared. Um, yeah. She has almost yeah. no scenes that Frank isn't in. She's got, she has, there's one scene that I liked with her and, and um, Malachi. She's outside smoking and they're, they're out sort of by the wall. Um, there's like a brick wall that they're, I don't, I, I can't remember, but I just remember thinking that it was one of the few scenes of them together that really kind of clicked. Mm-hmm. They were they just didn't feel like they were on the same playing field. Like, mm-hmm. and it, this isn't to, that's going to sound like shade towards, uh, Carlisle, but it just felt as though he was punching outside his weight class a little bit at times. How? Strangely enough, I, f- I, I felt like he was giving her a lot that she wasn't – like I just okay. didn't feel like there was any chemistry with her or that she had any attraction towards him well, whatsoever. Yeah. And I think that that's just it's, – it's less tragic, frankly, if she loves this guy and she really thinks that he's going to figure it out. Right. I think that that's part of the tragedy is this, this hope. And it, it's this allegory for Ireland too of like you keep thinking it's going to get better and it just doesn't and, and like – Ultimately, the only way it does is if you leave and then like no. come back to a better version of the country. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it it was that was a slog one. for for Ireland, and and I don't even say that with judgment because it was like the 1930s. We were a completely new country, and mm-hmm. there was just a lot of poverty and alcoholism. So, and Oof. yeah, um, I don't know, but I do think that there were moments that really represented Irish, the Irish story well. And I think that those sung for me. The supporting cast, I think pretty much across the board is pretty solid. Um, I think there's just a lot of weight put on those, those top two performances that, that unfortunately just don't really totally come to life in the way that they could. Um, So we should rate this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I forgot that you do this. (laughs) So I'm going to walk you through it. Uh, basically, did you see this movie in 99? I did. Oh, wow. Okay. So unlike us, you can rate the movie as to what you thought of it in 99, Uh then what you thought of it before this podcast, and then what you thought of it after the podcast. Zero to 99, zero is the lowest, 99 is the highest. I'm going to give you a second to chew on that for a second. Can I go last? You can go absolutely last. (laughs) 
absolutely sure. last. Absolutely last. <laughs> um, uh, you can absolutely go last. Uh, so I didn't see this film in 99. Um, I just didn't have any interest. Um, but it existed. But I did see it the other day. Uh, before this podcast, I'd probably give it a 60. Um, <laughs> Jenny's face. Uh, you know, I, I thought, again, like... <laughs> competently made you know what i mean like it's well shot it's it's like it's all there it's a big studio movie it, it doesn't you know it doesn't fall in its face in in sort of below the line regards um you know and 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 i thought that as i said i thought the supporting cast was pretty good and i thought that when it was working it worked pretty well um but after this podcast i'm down to i i'm i i'm struggling to say 50 i'm probably around a 50 what's the number it's important I'm gonna give it a fifty. Fifty. All right. Um, <laughs> I just I, I'm not. I fifty is an interesting number for this movie. I think. Here's my thing. Fifty is the line with which we recommend or not recommend yeah, a film. That's why I, I recognize that. So, so you still recommend it? I, I would recommend it because I think that there's enough here. There's enough moments that emotionally resonated with me. There was enough stuff in it that I found myself, you know, engaged enough, and. You know, I cried. I don't know. When a movie makes me cry, I, I, I mean, it did something, right? You know? So that's... I Although like. I, I cry pretty easily, so... I, I cry easily, too. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that. I didn't get a podcast about, about crying. Whenever you want. <laughs> um, I... So it's funny, because this more than most movies, this is the one where I think I really felt like uh, that 50 kind of loomed large for sure. me. yeah. Because... I don't think it's a bad movie, yeah. like mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, for two hours and twenty five minutes, this like you 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 mentioned the the length a lot. It wasn't the slog that Anna and the King was, for instance. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, at all, you know. And, and I, I was engaged. Yeah. I was engaged by you know this this trip into Ireland at a certain period of time, and and I I, I did actually find a lot of it to be charming. Um. The reason I'm giving it a 45 is because I couldn't imagine ever <laughs> recommending this movie to anybody. Like I couldn't imagine ever saying sit down it's and fair. watch Angel's Ashes. It's fair. So it's about as good a movie as I could not recommend. Um, imagine seeing with, without without ever giving it a recommendation because it is kind of slow. Um, it's it's slow and more than anything, it's just it's so inessential. Well, can I, I just want to, I'm, I'm going to add a, a little bit of an asterisk or a caveat to, to my rating. Um, in a vacuum, I wouldn't go up to a person and say, you should watch Angela's Ashes. But if a person came up to me and said, so I'm thinking about watching Angela's Ashes, knowing what they're about to sit down, would I say, don't watch it? I would no. say, yeah. So I would say, don't bother. <laughs> Right? Like, don't bother. Really, splitting hairs. Yeah, don't bother. Go watch Brooklyn. It's an hour shorter. Yeah, and it's, it's, Sure. That's not a comparison. You'll get what you need from Brooklyn. You'll get more than what you need from oh, Brooklyn. Oh, that movie's that's so Brooklyn. good. Brooklyn's the best. All right. Lola, Lola. you ready? Okay. You're up. So I saw this with my mother. I actually saw my mother, who is an Irish film critic, yesterday. And I asked her, do you remember seeing Angela's uh-huh. Ashes? And she said, absolutely not. <laughs> really? <laughs> so my review... Of that film, looking back, is that it was completely forgettable. Um, inessential. So, inessential, yeah. yeah. Um, 
So I can't rate it based on my seeing it in 1999. N-A. Um, yeah. <laughs> A plus, plus. Yeah. N-A, how I like my drinks. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you should have thought about that. <laughs> yeah, Irish sober people. Um, we need to be sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I am only going off seeing it recently. And I cannot recommend this to people <laughs> in good conscience, um, which is a shame because there's parts of it that I think are so beautiful, especially Pauline McLean, um as Aunt Aggie. I think she's just incredible in that role. And there's a lot of acting in it that's really spectacular yeah. and great cinematography. But I'm going to give it um, in honor of 1948, which is a... Um, big year for Ireland. Um, I'm going to give it a 48. <laughs> percent The am I wrong? Is that when Israel was? Uh, oh, I should know. Just so embarrassing. Jews, Jews. Just bad Jews. I thought that was Israel. That's, it wasn't sounds, that significant in right. a history time. I was just. So you are you saying that pre and post? You're just saying 48. 48. I just want to acknowledge. I don't think I can walk up to someone and say like, "Hey, you should see this really, really deeply sad movie." Um, and I just wouldn't. I wouldn't tell people to see this unless they were like researching Limerick right. or something very specific. I think there's so many films out there, and I'm if they were exhaustively yeah. researching Limerick. <laughs> like if you want, if you want every piece you can get. You'd be like, read the book. It was yeah. you have to. See yeah, yeah, it was 1948. It's really okay, the debate. So what's oh. what's the significance of 1948? So, for Ireland. It is um it was when we left the commonwealth. So we gained in- independence in 1922, uh-huh. um but then, you know, we got our own cur- currency and we were like actually mm-hmm. actually independent in 1948. Cool. Yeah. It's incredible. It is. Yeah. I'm I'm so thrilled that we had you on for yes. this. Thank you so much for awesome. having me. Tr- long truly. time fan, long time listener. <laughs> well, you're going to come back, right, for something else? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, I'll, yeah. s- I'll send you the list and we'll, we'll talk about other things. Can but I ask you a question? Absolutely. This might be an insensitive question. <laughs> I love is, insensitive is, is, questions. Is, she does, by the way. <laughs> is Lola your first name? Oh, that's a whole story. <laughs> I was born Deirdre Miriam Catherine O'Healy Gaffney. Okay. Um, the the most longest. Irish so, name. You say, so, can you say, so how do you say Deirdre? fucking Irish. Um, Deirdre? Deirdre. Not okay. to, so Deirdre is a more common pronunciation in, in Ireland. Oh, okay. Of an already uncommon name. Mm-hmm. So I was set up to fail by my parents. Um, so, and it also means sorrow because, sure. yeah. Because, yeah, <laughs> because sure. my parents Which had is a the lot happiest of- word in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yes. Um, so I had this crazy cumbersome name and Lola was a nickname from youth um, because I had, I was raised by a Mexican woman who couldn't pronounce my name and cool. she was like, what does this mean? And my mom was like, Dolores means pain. So Lola. <laughs> it's very Beto O'Rourke. And then, and so, you know. but when, when I asked, it's my legal name now, Lola Kelly, my, I asked my mom for a second name and she was like, what about Lola Kelly? And I was like, yeah, right. That sounds great. Done. So I was named by my mother both times, cool. but then I asked the judge in court, like they, they, they ask you like why you need to change your name. And it was with like 20 people and everybody had to give these like very long reasons. And the guy, the judge, like just looks at the paper, looks around Pause. 
the lady with the five names. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's he didn't, me. Didn't even try. And and he just said accepted. Oh, <laughs> and didn't even awesome. ask me why I was changing. That's amazing. It. The lady with the five yeah. names. That's really so funny. So here I am, Lola Kelly. It's a great name. Yeah. Like you don't forget Lola Kelly. So that's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There well, you thank you for coming on and for t- and walking us through Irish history. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was vitally important. Um and, and I and I really do think actually obviously made this episode better made this film worse <laughs> oh no <laughs> but you know sorry. what i mean like it just the the, the lack of certain no 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 and yeah. I, that's not you shouldn't be sorry i think it made it gave me so much more knowledge of this area and of these people that i feel like the film doesn't necessarily really tap into mm-hmm. and it makes this film feel like a missed opportunity more sure. is sort of mm-hmm. what i was getting at yeah. not not in any way as though you did anything wrong. Um, you did everything right. You did everything except right. by your own culture. But you did everything right by us. So. My Irish um, passport is going to be revoked. <laughs> um, but thank you for coming on. Um, you're on. Uh, you're on Twitter, right? You have yeah, a, what's your handle Instagram, on Twitter? Instagram and all those things. L O H L A L A. So Lola. Nice. That's me. Um, so follow Lola uh, next week. We're doing boondock scenes. Going right back into the <laughs> the Irish experience, but and now the Irish not. American experience. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. It is. It's a. It's, it's well, we're doing Catholic Church to Catholic Church, is what I was sure. Saying. Yeah. So, sure. Yeah, Lola. You have Do you have thoughts, thoughts on boondock um, scenes? Boondock scenes is very interesting to me because it is deeply Irish American, and I think that that is a totally different culture. Yeah. Um. Than Irish culture and the how so? Oh. It's just this version of Irishness that doesn't exist at home. Mm. Um, and I think it's for better or worse. Like, I think there's there's parts of the culture, especially the violence, the drinking, and the, the anarchy um, mm-hmm. of the, – there's a lot of stuff that was going on when people immigrated. Um, it's like they took all of this strife to America and kept it there. Um, and just bottled it up, it bottled it up because like you go to Ireland now and like, we're just so progressive, you mm-hmm. know, there's, and you know, we allowed for gay marriage before America did. There's just a yeah, lot of gay prime minister. Yeah. yeah there's a uh, Taoiseach is gay. Like he's huh. he, it, prime, prime minister, minister yeah. president, Taoiseach. prime minister. Yeah. Yeah. The name for prime minister is Taoiseach in Ireland. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah. So the, there's a lot of homophobia and racism and like some very toxic masculinity that I think was imported. And then because it was like, this is my culture, I am proud. It just sort of stewed and mm. and fermented, I think, in some ways, I think not all Irish American culture is. But I do have trouble with Boondock Saints because of that. You should. <laughs> one of the worst um, movies ever made but a cult made. favorite Irish Americans love that film not just them <laughs> well it's bros bros that's a bro that movie man yeah it's uh, it's everything we said um, we, we dive <laughs> we go we, deep we, into we, yeah one. we go way into it with Sean O'Connor an Irish American who doesn't you know kind of share this bro mentality yeah. uh, he's happy to rip it apart with us and, and talk about the documentary as well the documentary which is oh, the best documentary Have I don't mean to rip it apart I mean dis- I mean really dissect it yeah, yeah. the the documentary is called Overnight about Troy Duffy making the movie so we, it's really kind of a dual yeah. podcast on Boot Not Six and the documentary about making the movie highly recommend um, watching Lola your thoughts on this are really interesting too I kind of wish we could talk more about the Boondock Saints from your perspective because I think that's interesting how progressive Ireland is and Irish people are, and the way now, but now, yeah. but, but the way that that does seem to happen, um, particularly with uh, 
with second generation, third generation groups of immigrants, some people, particularly men, who, who seem to hold on to these more agro elements of their ancestors. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with being a perceived minority. Mm-hmm. And a pers- the, the, per- the perceived persecution, I think, mm-hmm. particularly white people in this country have right now is manifesting itself in a lot of ways uh, through violence and anger and um, this toxic masculinity. Bulldog Sands was there 20 years earlier. So <laughs> it, it, it's interesting how people still hold on to this, the people that still love this movie. It's just it's just interesting to me that that there's that there's this sort of if people still love this right. movie, yeah. you will not love this podcast because we do not love this movie. Um, but we, I do think it's a great conversation. I think that Sean's a tremendous guest. We've had him on before. He came on for two hundred cigarettes. If you listen to our episode yeah. on that, he was on for that. And and I think that we are. I don't think we're unfair on that movie. I just think we we just we go to we really dig in. Like it is not the worst movie of 1999. I no. expected it to be the worst movie of 1999, but it is not. I mean, it's 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 in the ranks, bottom ten, but it's not the <laughs> but it's not the worst. Yes, and I yes, actually I I, yes. I really went into this year I, thinking I like there's nothing worse than this movie. No, I remember it you is, talking about how you were like not it's looking forward to it. I, it yeah, because yeah. I feel like it's at least you know me and you feel like it. Yeah. it it's ideologically the exact opposite <laughs> of everything we think we stand for. Yes. So um, accurate, but it's more interesting than I thought it was. And also overnight, oh my God. watch overnight before you watch Boondocks. Because I want to. It's awesome. You you can't really find it, it anywhere. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a link. This you should watch it. The documentary. Yeah. You would you would really love it just because you I mean you're being in the industry or yeah, filmmaker doing sure. all these things. It is. The cautionary tale of cautionary tales yeah. of oh Hollywood. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. It's it's a it's a really amazing thing, and and it and it contextually it changed the way I watched Boondock Saints, which I think was important as well. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that to me when we were sort of prepping for the episode. You were like, "We can't do Boondock Saints without doing Overnight." And I think if we had if it had been siloed off, I, I don't you- think it would have done the film any. Any it provides it provides context for the movie. There it provides layers for the movie. Um, that uh, you know benefit your viewing of Boondock Saints. Troy Duffy, for better or worse, is an incredibly compelling character. He is, you know. So it's a, it's it's a fascinating episode. Um, yeah. So that's that's that. You can uh, you can sorry. Uh, you can uh, rate, review, subscribe. We're on Instagram at podcast like nineteen ninety nine. We're on Twitter at podcast like nineteen ninety nine. I'm at uh, PM Isco. Kenny is at Nybard. Um, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.